John chapter 3, this morning we'll be looking at verses 1 all the way down through 21. And I would just like to read through it here first um, to get the passage flowing in our mind. So I will be reading from uh, the ESV translation, but you can follow along in whatever translation you have with you today. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, we read this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He, a a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have have told you earthly things and you do not believe... How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we we come to you this morning, humbled that we can look into your word. And so, Father, we just ask now, we, as we look into this um, familiar passage, this passage that is probably known quite well, Lord, that we might glean some truth and insight from it that might be applicable to our lives, Lord, that your spirit might work in our lives um, and just uh, give us insight today. Lord, we thank you um, for sending Jesus, your son, to die on the cross for our sins. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so how many of you, let me start out with a question. How many of you like a good spy movie or story? All right, yeah, okay, quite a few of you. I, I, like, I like good spy stories, spy movies, you know, whether it's Jason Bourne or James Bond or Maxwell Smart. You know, 
Okay, some of you got that. All right, all right. Just seeing how far we could go back there with, with that. But anyway, spies get, they get a lot of cool stuff, right? Spies get to do a lot of cool things. They get a lot of cool gadgets. They get to drive cool cars. They have multiple identities. Uh, they get to sabotage things, blow things up. Um, but something that most every spy does is they gather information, whether by stealing it or by listening in on other people's conversations. And a, a true story of, uh, of espionage or, or listening in on another, another conversation wasn't done by spies, but, but code breakers in World War II. In May of 1942, the U.S. and Australian Naval, Naval and Air Forces were facing off against the Imperial Japanese Navy in the Battle of the Coral Sea in the South Pacific. But... In a windowless basement in Pearl Harbor, a group of U.S. Navy codebreakers had intercepted a Japanese radio message suggesting Japan was planning an entirely different and potentially far more damaging operation in the Pacific. By April of 1942, they had gotten so good at breaking Japan's main operational code that they were able to intercept, decrypt, and translate parts of Japanese radio messages within hours of when they were sent. The radio traffic they intercepted that May suggested that Admiral Yamamoto, the mastermind that was behind the Pearl Harbor attack, was preparing a major invasion involving four Japanese aircraft carriers along with many other ships at a location designated with the initials AF. And these code breakers, by discerning that the target was the island of Midway, the American forces were able to prepare ahead of time for the coming attack. By listening in to the Japanese radio transmissions and being able to decode these messages, the American forces were able to learn valuable information about the Japanese intentions. And so, what does that have to do with John chapter 3? Um, in a way, I, I kinda, we kind of see ourselves here as as somebody listening in on somebody else's conversation, right? Jesus and Nicodemus are having this private conversation. And so we, in a way, are going to take like uh, a fly-on-the-wall type view and just listen in. Now, this, this passage here today, 20-some um, verses, um, somebody even said to me this morning, hey, you're going to be able to cover 20-some verses in one message. Well, my my... My goal here today is not to um, go through piece by piece. You know, multiple messages have been done, series have been done on this chapter. I mean, pastors have preached entire series on just John 3.16. And so, but my view, my, my attempt here, what I'm going to try to do is take a kind of a bird's eye view, kind of a fly on the wall. Let's listen in on their conversation, see if we can't glean some important insight from the word of God, from this conversation between these two men, um, and, and be able to use that in our lives. All right, so let's dive into the passage. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 1, um, we have these two men, uh, Jesus and Nicodemus, right? They have this conversation. Now we all know, we know who Jesus is, right? The entire uh, book of John is about Jesus, all right, and leading up to this, Jesus in chapter 2 had done several things. First of all, he had performed his first miracle. All right, the wedding at Cana, he turned water into wine. Um, shortly thereafter, he made his way to Jerusalem and was 
uh, for the Passover, and he entered the temple, and he walked into the temple, and he saw the money changers, and he saw those selling uh, sacrificial animals, and he cleared out that temple, right? He cleared out the temple of all those trying to sell and trade, saying, don't make my father's house uh, a house of trade. Um, and, and so the religious leaders come in, and they get a little bit upset. Hey, who do you think you are? Why are you doing this sort of thing? And then in verses, um, verse, in chapter 2, verses 23, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So Jesus was doing different signs and miracles. And so people were starting to take notice of who Jesus was. And so as we enter chapter 3, we have Jesus here. And now we have this man, Nicodemus. Who is this man, Nicodemus? Well, chapter 3, verse 1, uh, gives us a little information about who Nicodemus is. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So we have two, two things here about, about Nicodemus. First, he was a Pharisee. All right, a Pharisee, The Pharisees were a group of, of men that compo- was composed of scribes and priests and other laymen, and they were concerned with the ritual purity of um, of the Jewish law and 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 keeping to that code, and they were also about teaching others what what it meant to follow Jewish law, and be, and they were zealous for protecting Jewish law and culture. All right, so Nicodemus was no doubt he he knew the Bible really well. He was one of those that they would probably consider super spiritual. You know, he's very religious. People probably looked up to him. All right, and it also says that he was a ruler of the Jews. Now, the Jews had this group called the Sanhedrin that um, was allowed to kind of oversee what was the official affairs of what was going on in Israel. Because when Rome came in and took over Israel, one of the things that they and other people, other nations that had conquered Israel, found out was the Jews are not easy to rule. <laughs> the Israelites were not easy to rule over. Um, when, when they conquered other, when the Romans conquered other nations, other nations were happy to add their gods, mix their gods around. You know, they were a little more um, lenient in following Roman law. The Jewish people were not that way, and so the the Romans decided to give the Jews some autonomy in ruling themselves. And the Sanhedrin were kind of the rulers when it came to okay, you follow your Jewish laws, and as long as you guys are paying your taxes, we will let you guys you know, do your thing. And so part of this ruling group, the Sanhedrin, was made up of 70 men. That was a diff- uh, um, a mix of Pharisees, the religious group that Nicodemus was part of, and the Sadducees, a different group. Um, and so Nicodemus here, a ruler of the Jews and a Pharisee, and later on in verse 10, Jesus will tell us that he was the teacher of Israel. Now, we don't exactly know what that means, um, but Nicodemus, no doubt, was a well-known teacher and had a high standing among the Jewish people and was well-learned in the Old Testament scripture and Jewish custom and law. So here we have these two men, Jesus, this up-and-coming teacher. People were starting to follow him. He was, people were like talking about him, getting intrigued by because he had shown signs. He had cleared out the temple. Um, and then we have Nicodemus. Um, this man who was uh, well known 
would have been considered morally upright, prominent, looked up to, a religious and political leader, and they have this one-on-one conversation. So if you could have, let me just ask this question, if you could have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus, you know, what would you talk about? Do you ever think about that? Maybe, maybe you, you phrase it this way, like, when I get to heaven, okay, here's the questions, here's the things I want to talk to Jesus about. What are some of those things? If you could sit down with Jesus one-on-one, anybody, any ideas? Ever think through any of that? Anybody? Well, I have. Oh, sir? I would thank him. You would thank him? Okay, yeah. That would probably be one of the first things that all of us would do. Some of my questions would be like, well, how did you make the sun stand still in that one time in the Old Testament? You know, or, you know, what was it like being dead in the grave for three, you know, three days? Or, or you know, what's your view on Romans chapter 9, right? All right. <laughs> or, um, you know, what, are, will the Phillies ever win another World Series? You know, all, all these questions come to my mind, okay? But Nicodemus here gets to have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus. Um, and so let's see what they talk about. All right, it says... In verse 3 or 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So first of all, we see Nicodemus coming at night, and we don't know if he's trying to be secretive, right? We don't, we don't know a lot about the background. Maybe he's trying to be secretive. Maybe he doesn't want other people to know that he's talking to Jesus. Maybe it is like a spy type thing where it's like you got to sneak around dark alleys and try to get in and, and talk to Jesus when nobody else notices. Or maybe Nicodemus being the well-known teacher and, and man that he was, maybe he was busy during the day and just the only time he could meet with Jesus was at night. We don't exactly know, but he comes to Jesus as at night and Right off the bat, he seems to pay him this compliment, saying, we know, we know you come from God because nobody can do these things unless God is with him. Now, it's hard here to discern if, you know, what the mood is of the passage. Is Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, the Pharisees were often, you know, hostile toward Jesus. Is he kind of, is he being sarcastic? Is he being, um, is he being you know, polite in in saying these things. You know, if we're in, if you and I are in regular conversation, we learn a lot from the person's like facial expression and and the tone of their voice. Um, So we could take a phrase like the phrase, yeah, right. Um, If I were to say, you know, something and, and you were to agree with me, you'd be like, yeah, right, that's right. Or if I were to say, hey, the Phillies are gonna win this, the World Series this year, and you're like, yeah, right. You know, there's some doubt in there. So you take the same phrase, but you get two different meanings. And so we don't really know what Nicodemus's meaning was. Was he being polite or was he being sarcastic? We know you, you come from God because nobody can do this unless we don't exactly know. But Jesus seems to see right through or go right past his compliment and get to the heart of the matter. He seems to know exactly what Nicodemus's question is, which was the question of those that came to him as he cleansed the temple and the question on everybody's mind, why are you doing what you're doing? What, what is going on here? And so Jesus says this. It says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless, a man, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Unless someone is spiritually reborn, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless you're reborn, you can't see the kingdom of God. You're, you can't even understand what God is doing. All right, you, you can't be a part of what God is doing unless you're born again. Now Nicodemus uh, replies and says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, sometimes with the kids and, or with the teens, we play a game called telephone. And you guys know what the game called telephone is. All right, you kind of line everybody up. You give somebody at the, at the beginning of the line a phrase or a sentence or something, and they have to whisper it to the next person. All right, and that person whispers it to the next person, to the next person, all the way down the line. And usually by the end of the line, what the first person said is not what the last person heard, right? Okay, that's, the, that's kind of the telephone game, all right? Um, I kind of, do you kind of feel that here with Nicodemus? Uh, Jesus says, you must be born again. And, and Nicodemus is like, wait, am I, I have to be, how do I, how do I physically be born again? I don't think my mom would be up for that. Um, I know it was painful for her to begin with. Um, I don't think she'd be up for a second time for that. And so it seems to go directly over Nicodemus's head, um, and so Jesus tries to explain it another way. Uh, he, he continues his explanation, uh, trying to get the point across that one must be reborn spiritually to be part of God's kingdom. In verse 6, Jesus turns to the same theme, but this time by contrast to what the flesh does, clearly a reference to human birth, with what the spirit does in order then to answer any lingering questions Nicodemus might have about the possibility of this action, Jesus compares it to the wind. He says, he says uh, in verse 6 that that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born with the Spirit. And so Jesus here gives this comparison of the wind and the Spirit, and it's, it's interesting to note that the Hebrew word for wind and Spirit are the same word, and it was a well-known comparison back then. And so Jesus says, is telling Nicodemus, the Spirit of God and the wind move in similar ways. We don't understand it completely. We may not and probably will not understand completely how God and the Holy Spirit work in, re, in regenerating us and giving us a spiritual rebirth. But the truth is that being born again is a supernatural event that is brought about by God in the hearts of those who believe. And so this spiritual rebirth we have here, and Nicodemus, probably one of the most educated men in Israel in the ways of the teaching of God, you know, is perplexed. He seems kind of flummoxed, I guess is a good word. We don't hear it too, too often anymore, but Jesus, by Jesus' explanation of a spiritual rebirth, and so all Nicodemus could do to reply is, how can these things be? That was, I mean, here you have Nicodemus, probably one of the smarter men in Israel, and he's just like, man, I just can't get a grasp on this. I can't understand this. How can these things be? All right, it seems 
You almost get the thought of like some of those conversations you have with your kids as a parent. You know, you try to explain things. I've I've tried to explain baseball um, to my kids, and it's it's actually hard. Like I grew up playing baseball and loving baseball, but when you actually try to sit down with somebody when when Shane was like uh, four or five or six, and you try to tell them, you know, what a foul ball is, where the foul line is. What it means when 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 he fouls the ball is that a strike? Well, not if it's a third strike. You know, you know. All of a sudden, I find myself, boy, I love this game and I understand it, but I can't get it across to him. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to explain this to him, but it's not it's not coming across to him. And so I, I almost get that feeling here as not that Jesus is frustrated with what Nicodemus isn't getting it, but Nicodemus is just not quite understanding what's going on. How? How is one to be spiritually reborn? How are we to understand this? All right. And in verse 10 through 12, Jesus goes on and he seems to even scold Nicodemus. He's, he's, Jesus answered uh, Verse 10 says, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And so Jesus here seems to scold Nicodemus for being so learned and yet not understanding what there, that there must be a spiritual rebirth. It doesn't matter how much education you have, how, how well you followed the Jewish law. It doesn't matter how many years experience you have. There must be a spiritual rebirth. Unfortunately, there is a sad truth that people are less likely to receive Christ the farther along they are in life. In fact, a Barna Barna research study says this, that nearly half of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior do so before they reach the age of 13. Um, that at 43%, and that two out of three born-again Christians, 64%, made that commitment of Christ before their 18th birthday. Less than one out of every four born-again Christians, 23%, embraces Christ after their 21st birthday. This gives us um, more of a call for our kids' ministries here, and I could put a plug in, hey, if you're if you um, looking for somewhere to minister, we could definitely use you in our kids' ministry because... They are the ones that, that um, need to hear God's word. Um, they are the ones that are, are most receptive to God's word. Because going further along in life, it seems like it's more and more of a challenge to accept Christ as Savior. And so that's probably where Nicodemus finds himself, you know, far along in life as the teacher of Israel, um, as the one who had grown up in Jewish tradition, who had lived it well, who had this ingrained in his mind, and now Jesus is telling him something he, he just couldn't get a grasp on. Fortunately for us, Jesus is very patient. Um, I am not as patient as Jesus, I know that. Um, it was uh, I could see it again this week as on Thursday I had the day off, so I decided, okay, I gotta paint. we got to paint our basement, all right? Um, I, I don't like painting, but um, I'll do it if I have to, um, and I have to because our basement needed it. So Thursday I decided, you know what, I'm going to paint the basement. Um, and the first time around the basement, 
I was, you know, I was careful. I don't want to, you know, okay, let's let's be careful, not to put too much on the bra, you know, on the roller, you know, roll it slowly, so I'm not flinging paint everywhere and looking spotted and spotted and speckled by the end of this. And if I get some on the, be careful not to get it on the the baseboard or get it on the ceiling. And you know, so I'm taking my time going around the first the first lap. Okay, it was great. All right, take my time. Didn't get much on me. My clothes were still looking pretty good. Um, and that took more time than I thought it would or should. All right, so the second time around, it's like, okay, you know what? I can put a little more paint on the roller. Um, I can, you know, I can, I can do this a little bit, fling it a little faster. If I get a little speckles on my clothes, I'm fine. All right, so I'm going a little faster the second time around. Uh, well, if I get it on the baseboard, it's like, okay, let's just wipe it off quick and just keep going, right? All right, so the second time around, Still took longer than I thought, and you could still see through it, so I'm like, God, oh, now it needs a third coat. Okay, well, let's just start rolling it up there and see what happens, all right? <laughs> so I get as bad as much as I can on the roller and get going, and, you know, the boat, if, if you hit the baseboard, then, eh, no big deal. It's a basement, right? And if you hit the ceiling, it's, it's the basement. It's not a big deal. So by the end of the third time around, I was all but tossing the paint on the wall. Um, it just, I just don't have the patience for it. I don't have the patience for it. But fortunately for us, Jesus has great patience. And he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so again, he responds to Nicodemus, explaining further how the new birth is accomplished, and he does so by re- referencing a familiar passage of the Old Testament that Nicodemus would have known very well. So let's turn to that. Turn to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. And as you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of background. So the children of Israel, after God... Uh, freed them from their slavery from Egypt. When they cried out to God because of their terrible slavery in Egypt, God heard them. He came, he freed them from Egypt without a war, without battles. He just, he, he, he worked it out so that they all just could walk right out of Egypt. And after they left Egypt, they were wandering through the wilderness. And there came a time where they were, were kind of got upset and they're like, oh, we don't have any water. We're in the wilderness. This is terrible. And so God gave them water. And then they're like, oh, we don't have any food. We need food. And so God gave them this manna and sent manna for them every day for them to eat. And that went on a little longer. And then they decided, oh, this is manna. I mean, we need something other than manna. You need manna and something else. And so they continually complained. And then we come to this passage in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, beginning in verse 4, I'm going to read, From Mount Or they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, the manna that God had given Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, 
make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. All right, so these snakes come into the camp. They start biting people, and the people repent, and, and God tells Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole, put it in the camp, and if anybody is bit by these poisonous snakes, all they have to do is look at the pole, and they will live. And this, of course, is a well-known story that Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, would be quite familiar with. So with that story in mind, as we turn back to John chapter 3, Jesus says this in John 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And so Jesus makes clear that in order to have spiritual life, he, Jesus, must be lifted up. In order for anyone to be born again, in order for the supernatural work of the Spirit of God to take place and to be spiritually reborn, it was necessary for Jesus to die. We're only in John chapter 3, you know, the beginning of John's book, and already Jesus is telling people why he's here. He, He knows why he has come to earth. His purpose in coming to earth was to die for the sins of the world. And then we come to John 3.16, probably the most famous passage in the Bible because it kind of sums the Bible up at once. So let's, why don't you with me, let's all say it together. Um, we'll say it in the King James because that's probably how many of us memorized it. But say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does that mean? It means it doesn't matter whether you are well-educated, well-known, morally upright, prominent, looked up to religious leader like Nicodemus, or if you're a trampled on, frowned upon, social outcast like the woman at the well that Jesus is actually going to meet in John chapter 4, the next chapter, or if you're somewhere in between. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, to take the punishment for your sin, your rebellion, your turning away from God, like the Israelites in the Old Testament, so that if you believe in him, you can be spiritually reborn as a child of God. And so Jesus goes on in verses 17 through 21 to reiterate that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it, and that, the world, and that all who believe in him will be saved. But the sad truth is mankind loves darkness rather than light. I'm going to read what uh, author Josh Moody wrote in his commentary because I think he put it so well about these next verses, 19 through 21. He says, Now in verse 19 comes the verdict, the conclusion, the summation. Light, that is Jesus, has come into the world but people loved darkness. It is an extraordinary fact, but the human condition is such that we all experience a gravitational pull to the black hole of sin's darkness. 
Our better instincts may long for the stars, but our evil desires, our sins, mean that we are attracted to hiding, to being in the dark, away from the light, which so uncomfortably reveals our darkness to ourselves, to others, and most scarily of all, to God himself. We will not come into the light for fear that our needs will be exposed. But when we live by the truth, then we come into the light so that we may be seen that what is done is done through God. And so here we have this story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the cover of darkness. But he was being called to step into the light spiritually and allow the light of Jesus to reveal the truth. He was a sinner that was in need of saving. He was, in a sense, bitten by that sin like the the people of Israel and old. And he needed to look to the one who would be lifted up and believe in order to be saved. And as does every one of us. But finally, as we come to the conclusion of this passage, something is, to me, a bit alarming um, or at least unexpected. So we get to the end of verse 21. Jesus is finished speaking in verse 21. And what does the beginning of verse 22 say? Now, and this, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. Like, wait a second. What happened, right? Where's Nicodemus? Like, what happened to Nicodemus, right? Isn't that, like, isn't that your first thought? I remember a few years ago we watched, we sat down and watched, because I like spy and detective shows, um, we watched a detective show, I don't remember what it was called, but it was the, it was years old, you know, they had already done the seasons, and because I hate having to wait week to week to watch a new episode, I, I can't stand that. So we started watching this, and we got through several seasons, and like, it was, it was getting really good, and the guy was going to get married, and he walked into this house, before, and he got shot, and he was laying on the floor. And that's how the season ended. And like, okay, well, let's, we got to start the next season right away, right? So we went on. There was no more seasons. It's like I had to go online and look up. Oh, they canceled it because there wasn't enough money to... It's like, what? The, the guy is laying there on the floor bleeding. And, I mean, do you get that feel here with Nicodemus? It's like, whoa, where, where'd Nicodemus go? He's gone. Um, and so it's, you know, we have to understand here what the Apostle John is doing as he writes his book of John. All right, his primary focus on sharing with us the story of Nicodemus is actually not Nicodemus. Nicodemus's reaction is not his primary concern. John, as he tells this story, and every story that he records in his book, his primary concern is you, the person reading. How do I know that? Turn to John chapter 20. Verse 30 and 31. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, and if you have a, uh, maybe you have a heading at these verses. If, if it's uh, like my Bible, I have a heading there that says the purpose of this book. And so in John 20, verses 30 and 31, John writes this. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's primary purpose in writing his book 
John's primary purpose in writing this story about Nicodemus is you. That you, the reader, might believe. So as we, in our story in John 3, initially we felt like we were a fly on the wall, right? We felt like we were the spy listening in on this conversation. And as this conversation gets going, we're listening in between Jesus and Nicodemus. And you can almost picture yourself whether they were sitting across from each other on a t- at a table or standing on the, the roof of a, a building or whatever. Um, they're having this conversation and we're listening in on them. But by the end of verse 21... We're so tuned in to Jesus, we look around and Nicodemus is gone. Right? John, John the Apostle has kind of faded him away. And now it's no longer Jesus and Nicodemus, but it's Jesus and you. Jesus and the reader. You know, early on I asked, you know, if you could have a conversation or ask Jesus any question, what, what would that conversation look like? Well, let's flip that over now. If Jesus could have a conversation with you, what would that look like? Well, this is what that conversation would look like. Jesus wants to have a personal conversation with you. He wants you to know that to be part of God's family, you must be born again. He wants you to know that he died so that you might live. He wants you to turn to the light from the darkness. He wants you to believe. This is the conversation, the conversation Jesus wants to have with you. And John writes this story in a way that leaves you, us, the reader, in the hot seat at the end. It's just you and Jesus sitting down, having this conversation. Nicodemus's, how Nicodemus responds doesn't matter. John doesn't tell us here you know, whether, he, whether Nicodemus says, hey, I believe, or... Or he gets upset, he's like, I just don't understand this, and storms out. We don't know. Now, Nicodemus does come up later in the book, so I encourage you to keep reading through the book of John, and you'll see Nicodemus come, come up again. But at this moment, the question is, how would you respond if you were sitting down with Jesus having this conversation? Or more appropriately, how will you respond? For at this very moment, If you do not know Christ as Savior, Jesus is calling you to come into the light and to believe. That's Jesus' call. But as we close this morning, if you're you're here and you don't know Christ as Savior, this is Jesus' conversation with you. But but what if we're a Christian in the room, right? This is a very evangelistic passage, right? It's all about being born again this conversation with Jesus. So if we're a Christian in the room, how does this apply to us? How, how, what can we take away from this to apply to our lives? Well, let me, let me give you this. Um, Nicodemus is very much a salvation message in this passage, but let's, let's take, see if we can't take this away. If you are a Christian, let's take this away not only, this is not the only conversation that Jesus wants to have with you. Just like we have plenty of questions that we want to ask him, Jesus has a lot of conversations that he wants to have with you. And so we need to regularly and constantly sit down with Jesus and have a conversation with him. And we do that by reading his word and by going to him in prayer. It doesn't matter how busy life is, or how difficult our day-to-day circumstances are, 
Jesus wants to sit down with you and have a conversation, a conversation about your life, a conversation about your marriage, your kids, your school, your friends, your thoughts, your actions, and most of all, your heart. And so even if it's like Nicodemus, if it's late at night or early in the morning, you need to sit down regularly and have a conversation with Jesus. If you really sit down and have a conversation with Jesus, you will be blown away by what he wants you to know, how much he wants to teach you through his word, how much he wants to walk and talk with you every day of your life. So let me just encourage you with that this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.